So Jesus was talking about a couple of disasters that happened there. How do you respond to natural disasters? How do you, how do you respond to terrorism or tyranny? In Jesus' time, they were very concerned about Pilate killing worshipers in such a place that their blood mingled with the blood of their sacrificial animals. We're not told exactly uh, what response the Israelites had to this disaster, but it may have been shame, anger, bewilderment. And so they bring this sad story to Jesus. And Jesus answers their concern about that with the parable in our passage. And we have to do a little bit of thinking in order to connect Jesus' answer to this news. So let's examine some possible feelings and thoughts that a person might have at a time of travesty, a time of tragedy. Some people are unmoved, unfazed. Are you, are you numb now to tragedy? Another shooting in Philadelphia. What else is new? Uh, another mass shooting. Another tyrannical power grab by the government. Some of us have become numb to the daily onslaught of bad news. And so we're relatively unmoved by more bad news, even of a salacious kind. What, what can we do? Some people are devastated in the wake of a tragedy, no matter how far removed it is from them. Let's say someone was sadly run over by a train in a faraway city or land. This kind of response is absolutely broken by this sadness. Just hearing about this one story might cause them to call in late to work or change their profile pic, start a GoFundMe, lobby for changes in legislation to assuage their own devastation. Some people, when they hear about a tragedy, they victim shame. As we try to make sense of things, even if only for our subconscious, we make these judgments. They died in a plane crash? Oh, that's why I don't fly. They got shot? Well, we all know the city's a dangerous place. They shouldn't have been vaccinated, or they should have been vaccinated. They should have revolted against that dictator a long time ago. They had it coming. When they kick that hornet's nest, we victim shame. Some people, God blame. In situations where a clear victim or perpetrator aren't clear, we tend to blame God. How could God allow this to happen? This is why I don't believe in God. Or the gods must be angry with us. They're so fickle. That tsunami killed so many poor people. I guess God doesn't care. But some people react two disasters, two tragedies by preparing. They see a church shooting and they train a security team. They see a food shortage and they plant their own food. They see a death in the family leaves a muddled mess and they get their paperwork and finances in order. Preparation is by far the wisest response to disaster. God shaming is foolish. You don't know better than God. You're not more moral than him. Victim blaming sounds as judgy as it is. And we frequently naively assume all sorts of uh, inculpatory evidence. And we can easily be wrong in our victim shaming. It does not no good to freeze into inaction either. 
by our overwrought emotions or by our lack thereof. What we need to do is react to tragedy by preparing for what could be coming our way and what certainly is coming our way. I've been speaking about physically uh, preparing, but the principle applies spiritually as well. You know that some have died outside of Christ and face an eternity in hell. Will you not prepare against this prospect? If you have already turned to Christ, hallelujah! Make your calling and election sure, bear fruit worthy of repentance. If you have not already turned to Christ, today is a day of God's mercy. Turn to Him while you still can, because a day of accountability is coming, and we know not that day or hour. God gives mercy and accountability, so patiently prepare for produce. Here's what I'm trying to tell you today. God gives mercy and accountability, so patiently prepare for produce. I have found uh, self-professing Christians to err on the side of mercy or on the side of accountability. But the Lord gives both. He is both merciful and holds us accountable. He will not always pardon and wait. Judgment day is coming, and it comes for each of us differently until that great and awesome and final day of the Lord of His appearing. So, we must leave off our sin-soaked, backsliding, wandering, and return to Him, submit to Him, abide in Him, and bring forth spiritual fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. As we glance at this short parable, let's frame our application around the three actions of the three characters in the story. The owner, the vine dresser, and the tree. The owner does what? The owner prunes. Our story begins with the concerns of a property owner. He has a wine-producing vineyard, and he has a fig tree planted in it, and each part of his property either produces and gives him a return for his investment, or it doesn't, and therefore it needs to be repurposed. Some trees, vines, bushes just don't produce, and so at a certain point, they need to be pulled up. Some vines and trees even have a, a lifespan of producing, and so they need to be pulled up as they reach the last of their productive years in order to make room for younger, more productive plants. So an owner prunes. He wants more production and fruit. And can we blame him? The owner's concerns are for fruit production and good stewardship of land and resources. And he's ruthless, as every good steward should be. If something is a waste of money and resources, get rid of it. Such severity looks harsh at the outset, but anyone who has ever patronized a business that hasn't cared to steward their resources well has left dissatisfied or worse, sick. Should an owner be fine with employees who haven't produced anything in three years? That would be a terrible business. How should we understand this spiritually speaking? The father was seeking spiritual fruit obedience from his people, the Israelites. He was warning them that judgment and accountability was coming, and so they should turn in holy fear back to him and bear fruits worthy of repentance. If they did not, he was going to uproot them. And in the first century, this is exactly what God did. 
the Jews rebelled in an insurrection against the Romans, and the Romans were brutal in putting down the rebellion in blood. And if God would allow that level of severe accountability for his own people, how much more will he hold the children of Gentiles to a holy standard? We may not sit back on our haunches, brag about our culture, our worldview, our doctrine, our heritage, but all the while producing no fruit for the kingdom in our lives, in our families, in our churches, in our communities. No more hesitation. Bear fruit or you and your offspring will be treated the same way that God has treated the fruitless figs before by casting them out. The next character in this parable is the vine dresser. The vine dresser, what does he do? He prepares. A, a yeoman farmer, a farmer who owns his own land, cares for all his own harvest. But the landowner in this parable authorizes another individual to use his know-how to care for the plants. And these two men have this relationship where the vine dresser can say to the owner, let's try a different strategy than the one you're suggesting. Just note for a second, this is good business practice. If your boss comes along and tells you to do something that you know is foolhardy, you can suggest a contradictory alternative and still honor your boss. Likewise, if you're a boss and your employee suggests something opposite of what you just said, it doesn't mean that they're being disrespectful. And this goes for the office. This goes for the home. Respectful interplay of opposing ideas. To what end? Where am I going with this? For the purpose of production. Both parties want the same thing. Fruit produced. Now, vines and figs uh, need at least three years to produce in the first place. This is even prescribed in the law of God in Leviticus 19.23. Then, the first year that it produces... The fruit is holy to the Lord. You're not to eat it. So to start over again unnecessarily is a huge investment of time and money. Four more years. And the vine dresser's argument is convincing to the owner since both can see a market motivation to allowing a fig tree one more year. And three years might seem like a lot of time in order to give something to produce. But we're talking about trees here. Once they start producing... If you prune them correctly, you can get a lifetime's worth of fruit off of them. But you must wait. And three years isn't long compared to some apples, apple trees, which take seven years. One apple tree in particular, the Hathaway family orchardists grew. The Northern Spy, it's called, took 15 years to mature to fruit-bearing stage. So this vine dresser pleads for more time, please, more time for the tree to produce. But in the meanwhile, he's going to prepare. He intends to dig around it and put on manure. Now, I have seen this exact type of thing happen in D.C. to trees on the Nat National Mall. The caretakers will somehow unearth around the roots of the tree, and then they'll put down for fertilizer and great soil, black gold, I call it, compost, and this preparation encourages growth and fruit production. And the tree has no excuse not to bear fruit after that lush treatment. So spiritually, what does this correspond to? The Lord God has an overseer, a vine dresser, an under shepherd who calls for patience. It's Jesus. He comes to Israel to feed them the good stuff. 
the word of God from his very lips. Righteousness lived out before their very eyes, and they did and did they turn in light of such a lush treatment? No. Mostly they did not. Therefore they will be thrown out. Today, if you have been patiently wooed by God's word from this pulpit and others, your time is up. Bear fruit or you may be thrown into the fire where worthless weeds are sent. The spirit of Jesus is still at work tending his flock, his plantings. He is patient. He allows so many years for you to respond to him. But a time is coming when you will either have produced fruit or you won't. And your destiny and true heart will be revealed. Final character, the fig tree. What's the fig tree do? Hopefully it produces. The final character in our story is a tree. And the story ends without revealing what the tree did or what happened to the tree. We assume if the tree produced, it lived. If it still failed to produce, it was cast out. All the tree needed to do was allow the vine dresser to do his work, digging up and putting on manure. The tree just needed to respond well, naturally, to the rain and sun and care. You, listener, are the tree. Will you be a fruitless fig or a fruitful fig? Will you allow Jesus and his under shepherds to do a little digging in your life? Will you allow some probing questions to be asked? To get underneath the surface of your life down to what's really going on? If you won't, I don't have much hope. You'll just continue on pretending and being satisfied with an appearance of life without true life. True life produces. Will you allow Jesus and his under shepherds to put on a little manure as well? We've got nutrient rich food for you, but you might not like the look or the smell of it. That food is preaching. That food is prayer. That food is the sacraments. Are those things tired trash to you? Or do you realize that those are the ordinary means by which God builds his church. Just like we're not told what happens to the tree, I don't know what's going to happen to you. Which type of tree are you going to be? In conclusion, let's return to where we began, the occasion for this parable. How will you respond to disaster and devastation? The Israelites were indignant at Pilate for killing their countrymen and mixing their blood with sacrifices in a God-forsaken way. And the Israelites wondered if those on whom the Tower of Siloam fell were sinners, worse sinners. In other words, they responded to tragedy by victim shaming and government blaming. But Jesus called them to an entirely different response. Moment claiming. Not victim shaming, not government blaming, but moment claiming. Seize the moment. Take the opportunity of today to call upon Jesus, to bow the knee to Jesus, to get right with God now. Let go of sin, lay hold of Christ, moment claiming. Do not let another day pass you by before you learn the lesson of the tragedies around you in your life. Prepare for eternity now, because today is a day of God's great mercy. Let's pray. Oh Lord Jesus, help us to see that Uh, We need to abide in you that we might uh, produce fruit, spiritual fruit, 
love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, the fruits of the Spirit. Lord, if we've already turned to you, may we abide in you and bear fruit, no longer languishing and being a dry tree until the day of our withering. I pray, Lord, that you will press this upon us. And if there are those that need to bear the fruit of bowing the knee initially, may they do so, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.